Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Justin and the Food Entrepreneurs Podcast. I'm Justin Bizarro. I'm your host, and that's B-I-Z-Z-A-R-R-O for anyone who wants to spell it out. And today, we'll be interviewing... Hank Grant of Improper City in Denver, Colorado. He is also the owner and founder of Rayback Collective in Boulder, Colorado. So he's got two businesses under his belt. But before I get into asking him questions and how he's doing, I just want to thank everyone for listening in. Please continue to share it and share it with your friends and family if you like what we're doing and share all the entrepreneur story. Um, you guys are great, and after being in over 31 countries right now and being downloaded and streamed, it's quite an honor to have all of you guys listening in. So now time for the questions. Hank, how are, how are you doing today, number one? I'm great. No, thank you for asking. It's a beautiful day. I think it's going to end up being around 75 degrees today. Got shorts on, sandals, so no complaints here. Yeah, I'm a little bit jealous, actually. I've been inside the studio recording podcasts all day, so I haven't actually stepped outside other than a quick walk the dog. But So, Hank, tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, which led you into being an entrepreneur. Sure. Well, maybe unlike most of the people on your show or folks that are listening, I have zero background in the food industry. <laughs> And my uh, background in the food industry is basically trial by fire in the last five years. Um, but prior to that, I grew up in uh, outside of Atlanta, Georgia, um, played a lot of sports, was a Boy Scout, loved being in the woods, the mountains, um, went to school in outside of Birmingham, Alabama, um, played college tennis, and uh, had a lot of success there. Um and just really just enjoyed my time there and really just creating friendships. And um, I'll get to this a little bit later in some of your other questions, but, um, you know, had dreams of wanting to be a pro tennis player. And, you know, I think sometimes reality sets in a little bit of, Hey, I'm probably not going to be on TV. Um, and I probably jumped the gun a little bit on, on walking away from that dream, even if it was, you know, making it to the minor leagues of tennis, um, on a professional lover. So I ended up going and just basically teaching tennis like I had been, um, didn't really know what I wanted to do with my life. And, um, you know, through teaching tennis, I ended up meeting a lady, uh, that ended up taking a chance on me. Uh, it started working for a software company in Atlanta, uh, that was owned by a venture capitalist company, um, worked in finance and accounting there for a couple of years, and then got approached about moving into a leadership development program within the company and was able to travel around, lived in London, um, ended up coming out to our Colorado office, which is why I, I kind of ended up coming out here a couple years later and basically um, parlayed the leadership development program into kind of an inside and, and then eventually an outside sales position within that company. Um, and then during that time that I was working for that company, we were purchased by a large energy conglomerate based out of Zurich, Switzerland called ABB. And so really for, you know, 10 years outside of school, I was in the energy industry and sales and finance and really had no business, um, you know, wanting to be an entrepreneur. I, I had always wanted to be one, but my dad, uh, you know, was a colonel in the Air Force and you know, had a military background and was always... I very methodical in his decisions. And he said, before you kind of jump off on your own and try to go do something, at least 
you know, try to acquire some savings, some knowledge, work for someone else, allow them to teach you before you just try to go do it on your own. And so I, you know, I guess I ended up taking his advice, not really knowing, um, it kind of hit that 10 year mark and, uh, and really how we came up with the idea for Rayback. Uh, it was a similar concept. Um, like many good ideas, you don't, you know, try to do something out of the blue. You just kind of reinvent the wheel of, and learn from people that have already done things and try to do it a little bit better. And, uh, really it was a glass of wine and a, and a good idea. And I think the right time and the right people together to basically just not take no for an answer. And we just kept driving and driving and driving to get this business open. And now Rayback has been open for this July will be three years. And then Improper City, um, this July will be one year, uh, one year old. So, um, it's just a crazy journey the last five years of, you know, working for somebody, working for a corporate company that's very large to then, you know, stepping into an environment where I, I literally have no background. I've never worked in a restaurant, never been a server, never, never done anything. Um, but I think I lost on to the idea and, and the idea of what the place could be and what it could provide for the town that I lived in and what it could provide in other towns that I had visited that I'd seen that, you know, those entrepreneurs that, uh, that created those businesses and what it provided to those people in that community around them. So just so the audience understands, will you tell us exactly what the Rayback Collective is and exactly what Improper City is so we can start to visualize this, the undertaking you, you did? And then I have obviously some questions around that, but I think getting an understanding of exactly what you did and, and built in, in Boulder and in Denver, Colorado is, is pretty amazing. So tell us about those businesses. Yeah, so I, I guess I'll take it back. So there, there was a business in San Francisco called Soma Street Food Park, and it was a very urban, uh, urban setting that had food trucks, it had an event space, and it just basically was a gathering place. And and again, I didn't I didn't have the background in food or drinks, um, but I guess I could say I had a background in people and I had a passion for people and creating a place for that. And so one of the other business partners, you know, saw that concept, explained it. I got to see it. And we just started talking more and more about what, what that place was to that area of San Francisco and the mission, mission district. And then, um, little couple days later, we ended up going to a wedding and just kind of talking more and more of like, should we do this in Boulder? You know, there's nothing like it where you could take your friends, your family, your dogs, and just kind of be this melting pot of a place where it really embodied what the city was about. And you could create this environment for people where you could bring anybody from any socioeconomic status, anybody from race, color, you know, it just didn't matter. It could be a place that could be all things to all people. And um, initially when we started the idea and the first site that we found in Boulder, it was very similar to, to some, it was an outdoor concept. It probably would have been seasonal. It it really wasn't going to have, in my opinion, now hindsight, it wasn't going to have as big an impact. It was, you know, basically going to be a shipping container that had a bar and food trucks and music. And then, you know, when the weather was great, which most days are in Colorado, then it'd be there. And then when the weather was bad, we, you know, we wouldn't be around. Um, wouldn't take a lot of investment. Um, 
it was just a smaller scale thing. And believe it or not, the fact that we were going to add a shipping container that had an indoor component, um, it basically was triggering all these landscaping improvements for our landlord. And uh, basically they said, hey, if you want to do it, go for it. But we're not going to flip the million dollar bill to bring our entire property up to code. And we said, well, we can't either. So we had to scrap, basically scrap the project. And we were pretty much close to throwing in the towel. And then we ended up finding the site where Rayback is now. now. And um, we weren't even called Rayback at the time. We were Boulder Food Park. We were a food park that was in Boulder. And it kind of is what it, you know, what the name said. And then when we found the site where Rayback is now, it was a 6,000 square foot warehouse that had 14 foot high ceilings. It hard a, had a large outdoor component that was along a bike path that connected, you know, basically to the main artery of the city and the Boulder Creek path. And you could basically get around on the bike path. And there was not any businesses at the time that basically had a storefront to the bike path and Boulder, if you know much about Boulder, it's, it's a very bike, bike friendly town. And, uh, a lot of people are traveling by bike, commuting by bike, walking, running, um, pretty much anything in the outdoors that people can do, they're going to do it. And so we thought, well, why don't we, you know, what if we have this huge indoor outdoor concept? Um, but now, you know, with this, we're, we're next to a bike path. And again, the initial idea was to be more outdoor focused, but now we have this huge, 6,000 square foot warehouse. We're like, well, what are we doing here? And um, we said, okay, well, why don't we put a stage in here? Live music, it brings people in and creates community. There's a sense of passion um, and entrepreneurs itself within the music industry. So why don't we make a place for them? And then for the bar, we said, okay, let's, let's build a cool bar. Let's make a place where um, a lot of the passionate breweries that were popping up all over Boulder and around the country now I would have a place and an outlet where we could showcase what they do really well. And then we said, okay, well, there's a lot more space in here. What else can we do? And we said, okay, well, why don't we develop an event program? We don't feel like there's a ton of event spaces in Boulder. Um, so why don't we create a space that could be flexible and we could host nonprofit schools, fundraisers, birthday parties, company parties, company launch parties. Um, there's a lot of entrepreneurs here in Boulder and the tech, tech world and food world. And so could we be a place and a platform for them to be able to congregate, share their ideas and, and come together. Um, and so what we kind of found is we, we were this platform for other people and other things to come together under one roof. And we, again, me personally, I was not passionate about food. I wasn't passionate about drinks, but I was passionate about the people that were passionate about those things. And I wanted to be a place and a platform for those people then to showcase it, which brings in the food trucks. Again, no, no food background. However, we've got to have a food component that goes with this. The food truck scene was blowing up all over the country and it still is and in, you know, different places. Um, and, and got to know, we even had some friends that were starting food trucks that came from restaurants that wanted to break out on their own. And there was just such a sense of excitement and passion around them and what they wanted to do and them telling their story through food and their, their art. And so I was like, I want them to be a part of what we're doing, you know, with all these other levers that we could pull. And so you brought in a huge craft beverage industry. You brought in the food industry. You brought in events and companies and a platform for musicians and artists. And it just, it just was this great place that could be in an indoor and outdoor setting with great weather and a beautiful place in Boulder. And I just latched onto that idea and started our team. And, um, 
of course, you know, once we found this site and we started down the process very similar to the first site, we ran into a bunch of issues. You couldn't pod food trucks together close to an eating and drinking establishment, even if it was yourself. You couldn't pod food trucks close to residential units. They were across the bike path. You couldn't pod food trucks within a certain proximity of a restaurant. And so there were all these different rules and regulations that now, again, we were like, do we scrap the project? Do we try to do this thing again? And, you know, it took about a year and a half to go through the city process of lobbying and talking to the city council, talking to the mayor, talking to the planning department, working with the city and explaining the idea and showing what other businesses had done in other parts of the country. And, and, and a couple of people bet on us. They, they saw how passionate we were about people in the city and wanting to bring this idea. And so they, they kind of gave us a way where, it wasn't a shoe in, but they said, Hey, if you can throw the tail Mary and catch it, then we'll approve it. But you've got a lot of hoops to jump through and you've got a lot of things that, that have to go your way. And you've got to get the surrounding community to actually support you. And so it just, this was a long process. And you have, there are a lot of points where, you know, you want to throw in the towel and um, you get scared. You have to raise more money. You've got to take on uh, more responsibility that fiduciary responsibility with other people's money. We didn't get a venture capitalist firm or someone else. It was, it was friends of friends. And so now you're looking at your friends and their friends and, you know, taking their money and they're betting on you that you can return it. And, uh, and kind of going back to your question, you know, having all these different components, it, it provided an opportunity to be not a restaurant, not a bar, not a food truck park, not, not a live music venue you know, when people ask that question, what are you? We were like, we're whatever people want us to be at that given time. Yeah. You're like a food and beverage amusement park. That's how I would describe you guys. It's all exactly. Yeah. Yeah. My business partner, Justin always described it as like, when you come, it's kind of a choose your own adventure. It's kind of go wherever you're feeling. And if someone has an idea, um, you know, and integrating our business into what they're doing, we want that. And so, for example, this year we're going to be working with the Boulder Ironman and they're going to be actually running through um, the Rayback, like through our outdoor lot. They're going to have all their vendors and the team set up and it's like really integrating the business with something that's so huge and so passionate um, for so many people in this town uh, with the Ironman. And so it's just, it's just really cool to be able to provide a platform where people can just nothing's bolted to the ground. People can just move things, do things, and we can kind of be all things to all people. Um, and it's just so fun to be a part of that. Um, you know, it's just, we're not one dimensional. And I think as times change and economies change and, uh, you know, things are booming, things are not booming. We can adapt and change to whatever we need to be, you know, when the latest fad fades out, we can change. Well, and I love that you didn't actually try to do food on your own. You let the food trucks and the entrepreneurs that are in food do that, and then you can rotate the food. I think that's brilliant, obviously, and and having the flexibility for events and all that. Um, but I'm curious, how did you come up with the name Rayback Collective? Yeah, it's great. So going back to what I was saying, when we were called Boulder Food Park, we started working with a design firm here that happened to be one of our investors. And they said, we think you're shortchanging yourself. Like you're doing so many different things and you're such a platform for so many different people. 
so many different other entrepreneurs and people and passions. And um, you're this, you're just this place that embodies everything that the city's about and Boulder food park shortchanged you. You're not a food truck park and we got to come up with another name. And so when we started researching a little bit more about the building, we just stumbled onto a gold mine. Um, so it was owned by a man named Marion Rayback and he had a plumbing supply company and uh, he had been here for over 40 years and um, he, he had actually passed away a couple years before we opened and the lot had, had since been sold off to a big real estate investor here in town. And it, you know, it was an indoor soccer facility for a little while. It was indoor batting cages for the high schools. Um, but it just still had all these bones and all this history. And there was even these stencils that was on the front of the building on the brick that you could still see Rayback. And it's funny throughout that process and going through the city, um, a lot of people within the city and the city council were referring to us as, aren't you in the old Rayback plumbing site? We're like, yeah, that's the old Rayback plumbing site. And so once we, you know, did more research, we ended up getting in touch with the family and some of their children and grandchildren that lived within the area. It kind of explained the story on what we were about and, and not really getting their blessing, but just kind of doing the respectful thing and letting them know that we wanted to kind of carry on that, that, that family, that family friendly vibe that he created and, and from what I know of Marion Rayback, he was he was a tough cookie and a tough negotiator, and you know he kept everything. I mean, this is the place where you'd come to get any odd and end plumbing part. You know, the pink toilet, the green tub, this fixture that you couldn't find anywhere else. Like the man literally had everything. So much so that even some of the customers, like getting stories from them when we opened the doors, you know they people were like tipping in like plumbing gear. Like a guy came and got a beer and he's like, here's my tip. And it was a toilet seat that he had purchased at, you know, the Rayback plumbing store. And so it was just <laughs> funny because a lot of us were like, is that guy really bringing a toilet seat to the bar? And then it all dawned on us. So like, oh, people are like, you know, just poking fun at the fact that this used to be a huge plumbing warehouse. And now it's this big community environment with kids and music and food trucks and drinks and, uh, it's probably not the place they expected to come, you know, have food and beverages in this old plumbing warehouse. And so just the Rayback name, it, it just spoke so, uh, so much more than what we were. And it was very obscure. It was a great name. And the collective piece, we were all these different components together coming under one roof. And so the word collective just kind of, it just fit for us. And our hope was to eventually people call us just the Rayback. And I think people... Uh, refer to us that now. I mean, the collective piece is there, but it's just right back. And um, it's just really recognizable the way we came up with the logo and what the story we were trying to tell. It it does. It just explains so much. And when people understand the history of the building, they understand the history and the family of the Rayback family and where we were, and what we were doing. It just, it was, it, it honestly was a home run. I don't think we could have done it any better. And it's, it's a huge thanks to, to those guys that saw more of what we were about. And we, you know, trusted them and believed them. And, and believe it or not, we changed our name like less than a month before we opened the doors. <laughs> so we had been Boulder Food Park for almost two years, and then we changed the name and we're Rayback. And everyone's like, what's Rayback? Uh, so it was just funny where, you know, it's definitely a risk and a bet, um, but it, it definitely paid off, um, which is why when we opened in Proper City, we didn't want to just use 
Brayback. You know, Brayback had some notoriety, but we wanted to speak to the community and the town that we were in in the neighborhood. And Rayback didn't hold any, you know, warm and fuzzies to yeah, Denver, to the Rhino Art District, Five Points area. Yeah, and so we had to go through that same process of like, what, what is it about Denver, this neighborhood, that we could latch onto and really like tell the story behind the story? And uh, we can we can get to that either now or um, I can explain it a little bit later. Yeah, but no, no. Let's go ahead. Let's continue that down that road because I like where you're going with improper city. So. Let's, and it's basically, Improper City is basically the same concept in Denver, um, but you couldn't, you, you decided you didn't want to use the Rayback Collective. So, I mean, what does that look like? And that's, before I actually have you answer the question, I just want to asterisk something uh, as a side note that you mentioned is that Boulder is one of the biggest biking communities. I swear it's like Amsterdam of the United States. I've never seen so many people ride bicycles and my daughter Zoe, everyone at Colorado University um, up there in Boulder rides bicycles to class. I mean, if you're like, it's the cool thing to do. I mean, you may see a skateboard here or there, but everyone rides bicycles and Deborah also went to University of Colorado and um, she, um, you know, had a bike up there and tell stories about all the bikes. And it just is a mind boggling thing. So I just, the location of Rayback, I think as, as the asterisk to the whole thing is so key that it's on a bike path because I mean, I think more people ride bikes probably and own bikes and actually own cars in Boulder. And I, and because it's just, it's so voluminous, the amount of bicycles, but anyway, I, I just wanted to make that note of it for people that, that are up there. Like, if you're going to Boulder, bring your bicycle because it's a great biking community. And no matter whether it's a cruiser or a, a mountain bike or, you know, just whatever, a BMX bike, you know, there's plenty of places to ride. Um, and obviously, if you like the mountains, mountain biking is uh, is right there. The mountains are right there. So... Tell us about Improper City um, and how you got to that stage and, and how you named that location. Yeah, so it was it was hard because I felt like we, you know, we had created a brand that people identified with and it did, did create a lot of warm and fuzzies and, and, you know, they understood what we were about. And so to, to not use that name was controversial between some of our friends and even one of our business partners so when we were asked to go down to Denver to do our concept, um, we're across the street from a climbing gym here in Boulder, movement, climbing, and fitness, and and, and developed really great relationships with a husband and wife that own that gym, and they had since created a second gym in Denver, and we're developing their third gym, and they said, hey, we've got this huge 50,000 square foot warehouse, it's too much space. And we were developing some other concepts to where it would be this collective under one roof where we might have a retail component, might have a brewery and things ended up not working out. And so they approached us and said, Hey, I don't know why we didn't think of you guys first, but why don't, why don't we do something together? You're across the street. There's a lot of climbers and folks that are working out or doing yoga and either coming to the Ray back before afterwards. And it's just a lot of the same clientele. And so why don't we try to do it together? And so we said, okay, great, let's, let's come down take a look. And again, like you said, it's a very similar concept. Um, it's a little bit bigger indoor space for us. We had an 8,000 square feet, 
um, almost 20 foot ceilings. And then uh, the outdoor component was about double the size. It was around 12,000 square feet of outdoor space in this vacant lot, you know, right on Blake street, one of the main streets that go basically direct into the ballpark neighborhood, right where Coors field, the baseball stadium is on the 16th street mall. Um, it just, it's just, you know, five years ago, 10 years ago, you wouldn't go to this place. It was, it was an industrial area. It was dark. It was scary at times. Um, but you know, the last couple of years, things have changed. And, you know, I think we're even, probably in the middle of the pack in terms of, you know, folks coming into the neighborhood and now, you know, home advisor Angie's list is moving their world headquarters four blocks away. Uh, there's a 13 story complex going in. Uh, it's the neighborhood's definitely changing, you know, some good, some bad, but there's just a lot of development and a lot of cool concepts that are coming in. And we just thought this is just, we've got to say yes to this, whether we're ready personally or ready, Business-wise, we've just got to rally and, and make this work. And so uh, that partner movement, Climbing to Fitness, you know, they obviously wanted us to keep the Rayback name um, for a lot of different reasons. But for, I don't know, we just trusted our gut and we said that if we're going to do this, we, we've got to speak to this neighborhood. We've got to integrate ourselves into this neighborhood and and give back and, and talk not only to the Five Points Rhino neighborhood that we're in, but also you know, Denver as a whole. And I think that's where we decided was we didn't want improper city to just, just be alienated to this river North Rhino art district. We wanted it to be something more. And so we started looking and we ended up finding a quote on the visit Denver website from a travel writer from England from the 19th century, uh, Rose Kingsley. And she had was traveling to visit her brother uh, in Colorado Springs that worked for the railroad at the time. And so she's traveling across the plains and she's just describing this weird place at the foot of the mountains where it's, it's kind of Brown. It's just, uh, it's just weird. You know, like all these people came for this big gold rush and silver rush. And there's just this town on the river on the Platte river. That's, that's just kind of stuck here. And so the way she described it was it was if the angels were carrying a city to a proper place, and accidentally dropped it here. And so the word proper kind of spoke to Denver as a whole, like the fact that Denver survived and there's more ghost towns in Colorado than actually inhabitable towns kind of spoke to the, the grittiness and the um, can-do attitude that, that Denverites have. And so we said, okay, that's really cool. And then let's drill it down, not only from Denver, but into this neighborhood we're in where it's an art district. It used to be industrial. It used to be, you know, five points used to be called the Harlem of the West. And so, you know, how do you, you know, how do you speak to that neighborhood? There's a lot of grittiness. There's a lot of, you know, just rich history there. And it's a very improper place to then maybe just start a business. And so then to drill it down further into our concept, like you've mentioned and I've mentioned, like we can kind of be all things to all people. We're not a proper concept. We're not a proper restaurant. We're not a proper food concept. We're not a brewery. We're not this. We're just kind of improper and a little eclectic and a little different. And so it just, the word proper improper just, just spoke. And I think obviously with the word city, you know, we're, we're right in the heart of the city. And so improper city just worked. And it was the name that we all like, came to and it, it drew us in, but then we were like, man, I, I don't know, maybe that's not the right name. Let's just sit on it for a couple of weeks. And almost a month went by and we just couldn't find another name. And then once we started drilling down more and 
and just learning more about Denver, Rose Kingsley, and other travel writers. Um, our logo for Improper City um, speaks to another travel writer, Isabella Bird, that spent a lot of time in Estes Park. And so we adopted this bird to be Isabella. Um, and I think there's actually a food concept going in uh, not too far from us that's going to be called Isabella. And it's speaking to that same travel writer. Um, so again, you know, the way the Rayback kind of came together was very family. It was very hyper-focused to the town and the family that, you know, Boulder was in. And so I think we, we kind of found that with Improper City. And, and, uh, and I love I just, that I, area. I love, I love the name. Yeah. And I love the name as well. It's great. Yep. It's great. And the logo and the branding, the same guy who developed the branding and the logo and the heart and the story behind Rayback was the same guy that we brought on board to, to do it for Improper City. And he just knocked it out of the park. Yeah, and I love the, um, and actually, uh, you guys, the Rayback Stickers um, Collective, I actually have a Rayback Collective sticker I uh, from, I believe, um, on my refrigerator. Now that I, I was like, wait, uh, why do, as we're talking, I'm like up in Boulder, and I grab stickers everywhere I go. Like, I have two refrigerators and freezers covered in them, and I grab them whenever I see them. That's new and interesting anytime I can. And so I believe you guys do have stickers. If I, It's across the room from me, but I believe it actually is a Rayback Collective round sticker. Now that I've looked yep. at your yoga logo. Yeah. And, um, and that's pretty yeah. awesome. I'm like, wow, okay, maybe. I, and um, I don't know where I got it. Probably from uh, my daughter who's up there and knows I love collecting stickers. I'm um, putting them all over our fridges and, well, where the studio is, which also happens to be my garage, which also happens to be the full-blown built-out gym for CrossFit that I built. And um, But I really like the story. And um, I the, the Five Points area is awesome. I've been to Cervantes for, for music and local music there numerous times and the food there and what's going on. And I love seeing areas like, you know, for lack of a better term, gentrify, which is sort of, you know, become more diverse and become more food and beverage uh, hubs and stuff like that and revitalize neighborhoods. And that area is definitely doing it. And you're obviously one of the guys behind doing that when you put improper city there. So I think that's awesome. And I think what you're doing for neighborhoods uh, such as Five Points is amazing because without businesses like you guys, it wouldn't be the revitalization that we're seeing. So um, that's yeah, pretty awesome. Yeah, even so much so, like even in our logo in improper city, the way that we brought like the bird and the Colorado sun together in the flag, there's, there's five lines that kind of come together. And when we ended up meeting with one of the city council reps that this was his district, you know, he, he made sure to tell us that I know everyone calls this the river North art district rhino, but you're in five points, bro. And you need to make sure that you, you know, know that and give, you know, give credit where credit's due on what this neighborhood was and is and in, in supporting the, the residents that have been here for a long time. And so yeah. even within our logo, there's five lines that come together to kind of pay tribute to five points and, and where this neighborhood was and, and making sure that that rich history carries on. Yeah. And you mentioned it being the Harlem of the West or whatever, but you know, and I actually lived in New York city for, you know, quite a few years and, um, food service partners we have a facility in brooklyn since 2005 so i've spent a lot of time there but 
you know, the interesting part, and it's the same thing happening with Five Points, is that, well, one, there's a lot of culture there and, and music and things like that that have always been there for, for decades. And, um, you know, Apollo Theater in Harlem, for example, but there's that same type of thing that has happened in Five Points. And the same thing that happened in Harlem is happening in Five Points, which is this, is that great restaurants are popping up, you know, and I would go up there because the best fried chicken, and I love fried chicken for anyone that wants to know, I always talk about it on the podcast, but it's one of the greatest things like that happens in cities is these food places come in and, and the culture is preserved in those areas, but it's also, you know, people come in and grow the areas and, and make it an urban environment great again. You know, because we went through this huge period of suburban America and and pushing everything into suburbia, and we lost part of the urban America and, and how great it is and food and all that, and we've gone to chains and all those things for food and beverage. But now we're going back to what I would call the basics, which is local food and things in the neighborhood and in urban environments. And, you know, from the farms to the table is another example, but what you're doing is you're actually empowering the entrepreneurs in the neighborhoods or in the city as well by, you know, by going, you know, serving beer from the breweries that are local, which are all over Colorado. And then the food trucks, which has become quite the booming business in Colorado as well as well as the whole United States and that you're bringing them all together. So I think that's pretty awesome. Yeah, no, I think you said it. It's it's bringing the passion and the talents, you know, from all these different components and industries, you know, the food and beverage industry together under one roof and showcasing those talents. And, and for us, it's kind of focusing on what we do well, which might be creating a vibe and the audience and a space that's open and inviting um, and allowing those people to shine and kind of just getting out of the way and doing what you do best and allowing them to do the same. And then not to mention, you know, like now we have a, a booming coffee program that's in, in proper city as well. And now we have it at Rayback, but there's a whole nother business and, and story to tell, you know, to, back to the beans and where they come from um, and the ingredients that go in the beer. And then, like you said, local ingredients that come, you know, to the food trucks. And it's just really cool to just trace everything back to the earth and, and trace everything back to, you know, these grassroots families and co-ops and businesses that are all supporting one another. Yeah, it's amazing. And I definitely back, back to the basics. Yeah. And I talk about this on the pod podcast quite a bit and you've actually executed it fully is that there's so much, there's so many options and so much ability to cross market each other in the business. And while food trucks are competitive with one another and you could see it as they shouldn't work together, but you've created an environment where you can have like four or five food trucks there. Uh, and they're, they're not competitive with each other. They're actually complementing each other because they've become a place where they, more people can come together and have different food options. So it's great because I, if I want Thai food and Deborah wants fried chicken, which is usually probably the opposite just for reference, but we can go have both if the both food trucks are there. And so they're actually working off each other and the breweries are partnering with the food trucks, not only at their own breweries, but also at locations like yours where, you know, they're cross pollinating and, and they're sharing each other's 
social media and they're bringing each other recognition and exposure and it's so important and and i talk about it a lot in just food like okay you're producing chocolate and you're producing honey you know and there's this group in georgia and then okay well why not infuse honey with chocolate and 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 whip it and make it like a light honey chocolate product. So, you know, there's things like that that are going on in the food world that we should do. There's, you know, it's no accident. I said this on a different podcast that Doritos partnered with Taco Bell to make a Dorito shell taco, you know, cool ranch and regular, I believe, because that synergy helps cross market your company to so many more people. And so you're doing that and providing an environment for that, which I think is awesome. And it's actually one of the reasons I really am like, this is the, I want to get you on the podcast and I, you know, people reference you as we discussed before we got started recording, but it was also the other reason was that I love how you're bringing all these businesses together, not only to promote your own business, but to promote their businesses and have each other promote your business, their business and each other's businesses. I just think from a marketing standpoint, it's true network marketing on a volume scale and word of mouth becomes so powerful at that level i agree yeah it, believe it or not we we have very we spent very little in marketing dollars um to get the word out and a lot of it has come from yeah i mean definitely from a year to a year and a half we're getting through the city and getting press and kind of following along the story and kind of breaking down barriers and allowing the city to see the concept that we could eventually bring that kind of helped build some grassroots following and, and people that were really rallying behind us. But it's really having all these different components and businesses and people. And honestly, having the events was the biggest piece. Um, we hosted a lot of uh, food entrepreneurs that were launching products. And if they were on uh, Shark Tank or if they were on, you know, getting seed round funding from venture capitalist firms and they were celebrating, you know, people came into the door for one reason and then said, oh, yeah, uh, I want to come here and do my anniversary party or I want to get married here. Uh, it just became this place where people associated so many just great memories that were a part of their life from business to personal. So Hank, I, I love your story and I love how everyone comes together in the neighborhoods and comes together at your location. So there's a lot of successes, at least that I see and a lot of good stories, but what are some of the failures you've had and hardships you've had at both locations that you've learned from and that have brought you successes in the long run? I mean, I think more recently, just a failure of, of not asking a lot of the questions on the front end before you jump into something on why you're doing it. And I don't think if you understand the why personally, you're going to run yourself in the ground. And for me personally, there was just a lot on my plate and, and opening things and doing things and sacrificing family and friends and uh, just time. And I think you realize how valuable time is and why and where are you spending your time and, and what's it for. And I think for me, after having a child, you know, you understand how valuable that is. And uh, it, it's taken me now time, you know, working with a business coach over the last month or so and probably a lot more, a lot, a lot more time that needs to be kind of given back. But I kind of hit a point here recently where I, I just hit a wall and I, I lost a sense of purpose and why I started all these things in the first place. And uh, I was doubting myself and my abilities and my, 
my worth and, and what I could bring to these businesses and why and was I just in it for money? Was it other things? And, and I'm understanding more about, you know, there's no, uh, there's no blueprint, at least for me, I didn't have on like, what does it mean to be an owner of a business? Like I work for another company. I work for somebody else. So then how do you, as a doer and a driver, how do you then translate that into driving through other people and not doing it yourself? And I think that was really hard. And it has been hard for me to, to understand how to work through other people and how to, how to coach and how to build up other leaders to, to run your business. But then how do you still infect the personality and the drive and the heartbeat behind everything? But then if you lose the heartbeat, then what are you doing? And so I think for me now I'm I'm understanding more about what I'm about so that I can, you know, inject that into the business. So as a failure, it's, I didn't take care of myself. I didn't, I didn't ask, questions I just drove and I just kept going and going and going and eventually I broke and um, I'm kind of having to put put myself back together and my business partner has been very gracious on sticking by me and supporting and and understanding all of that that it's you can't just go 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 so I think for me that was a failure um, and I think just even understanding I, I guess it was it was great from the standpoint of being naive to what we were jumping into where we just didn't know what we didn't know. Um, but I also think you can be prepared. You're never going to be a hundred percent prepared. And I think you just have to take that leap of faith and trust yourself and your abilities and your team to execute. But yeah, I mean, preparation is, is key. You've got to understand what you're getting into, how to raise money, how to give great returns, how to protect yourself and your life and your family and, and your health so that you can execute on this dream that you have. And if you lose that, it is a fail. And success, you know, can be a failure if it comes to the expense of all these other things. And that's what I realized is like winning is not everything. Making money or doing this or doing that, it doesn't mean anything. We're all going to we're gonna end up in the ground one day. And um, the life that you lead and the impact that you have on others is what matters. And uh, I... I I'm realizing that now and it, it hasn't gone too far to where I, you know, I'm, I'm alive and I've had chest pains and I'm sure with many entrepreneurs, you, you go through that human element of it just, it crumbles you and makes you have gray hair and your back hurts and it, it stress level really does debilitate the body and you've got to take care of it and you've got to take care of things outside of work and you can't let it be everything. But if there's that passion and sense of purpose, it's a pleasure and a joy to be there and it doesn't become work. And then family life, it's all integrated into your life yep. and the decisions that you make every day. And I actually, and thank you for being vulnerable and, and so authentic Hank, because I, you know, it's important in, in so many ways. And I have to have learned that lesson the hard way where I, I gave so much to the business. I burned, burn things out and that's juggling so many companies and employees and took everything on and didn't delegate properly. And, you know, truly I was like, Oh, you know, if you want something done right, you got to do it yourself attitude. And, um, and now when I mentor people, you know, one of the things I always tell them is like one being healthy and taking care of yourself is, is first and foremost, because if you're not healthy, you're not any good to your family and you're certainly not any good to your business. And so, like I encourage people, whether it's walking or 
or whatever, making sure they get exercise. I mean, I'm a huge proponent of 75 minutes of exercise that people are going to be like, oh my gosh, how much time? But I mean, I CrossFit, so, you know, that's usually an hour and, and I build my own gym in, in our house because I want to be able to work out when I can. And so being an entrepreneur, I have flexibility for my family. I have flexibility for my business. I have flexibility to work out when I want, but it's important to work out. And, um, you know, so when I mentor people and what about my family and what about whatever? And I'm like, I agree with you. The success that we have, and I've talked about this in a a motivational Monday is that like success is an interesting thing. Like I will always weigh my success on the time I spend with my family and my daughters and Deborah and, and how much time I dedicate to them, that's what I'm going to be measured on, in my opinion. And the rest, you know, in the business, yes, I've got to do those things. If I want memories with my family and I want to go on trips with them and I want to get away, you know, I have to do well as an entrepreneur and I have to do well financially to take us on those trips. But those, the reason being is I want to create the memories with them. So if I get so caught up in making the money and all that, life just goes by and you miss out. And it's not, it's, you're not really doing anything. And it takes a while for us to, as entrepreneurs to get there and realize that, hey, you know, we need to slow down a little bit and hit the pause button every once in a while and just appreciate what we have and make sure we're spending the right time with the people in our lives. Because, you know, I've made the mistakes and I've had transitions in my life. And, you know, sometimes I need to be reminded still to this day that, um, you know, just pause and go spend time with your family. It's not, if I do it now or I do it later, it's going to be the same thing. It's not really going to change. And I don't need to try to control everything because it's like, I don't need to pick up every phone call. You know, it's one of the things I've learned is I can leave my phone and go for a walk for an hour with Deborah and and our dog and not worry about my phone because guess what? Whether the problem's there and I pick up up the phone now or I pick it up from an hour from now, it's still going to be the same problem. And by actually not picking up the phone, I've actually empowered people to handle issues on their own because they can't get a hold of me, which has been an interesting byproduct of that. So... I appreciate you sharing that for sure Um, because it's crazy. And I mean, we talked a little bit about it. It It's the next question I had, but we've already sort of answered this. How has it affected your your personal life and being a parent and being a spouse? And um, I don't know if you want to dive further into it or not, but, you know, it does have an impact on us. It does. When you say it doesn't have an impact, yes, negatively. <laughs> um, it has. It, uh, it it has. You know, I think for me personally, I've I feel like, and maybe you know, I'm in the majority or minority, but we'll sacrifice anything for work, and we'll drop everything at the drop of a hat to go to this meeting or meet that person or to do this deal or do that, but yet, you know, we're not going to, or we'll set up these meetings and we'll be months or weeks in advance in preparation and we'll plan and do things. Well, why don't we do that with our family? Why don't we do that with our wives? Why don't we be, have that intentionality and sense of purpose and pleasure towards them that we do with our business? And maybe it's just me or, you know, guys, but it, uh, I've realized that they, they deserve that. And, um, and with these businesses the last couple of years, I've 
I've worked to provide and I've done my duty as, you know, the head of my household to do that. However, I've, I've failed in other areas and I've, and I've dropped the ball and I, uh, you know, I'm kind of having to repair that. And, and obviously my wife has grace and she understands what we've been through and she actually works at the Rayback. And so I think if, if anybody understands what the business has called for and what, what we've had to do, she understands it better than anybody. And I think it's, you know, it'd be harder if my wife worked at outside at a different company, but she's, you know, for better, for worse, she's, she's in it. And she's, she's seen it from day one, what it's become and what the second business has become. And she's not involved there, but she knows. Um, so there is an understanding from her side there of, of what the business is requiring of me, of my time and, and effort and all of that, um, which has helped. But I think it's, it's just communicating. I think your life will be a runaway train and you'll just be jumping from one thing to the next and feeling like you have to get involved in every single decision or you have to be here or you feel like people need you when they don't need you in these certain situations. Um, And it's just setting up those guardrails and figuring out who are you as a person? What is your business and what is your business need and what do your people need? And, what are you really good at and making sure that you're plugging yourself into each of those different things appropriately and doing it while communicating with your wife and your family and spending time and being purposeful both with the business and with your family and it's not dropping one to do the other but it's really it should be a beautiful orchestra that all these different moving parts are, are coming together and creating life and I think that's that's what we all strive for and all what we want and that's what I'm learning to do is, is over communicate um, and, and figuring out how to, when to spend time here, how to spend time here, how to bring my kid along to these meetings or not meetings and when to sacrifice so that my wife can have sanity and go, go to these meetings or do what she needs to do. And you're, you find as sometimes as more things get on your plate, the obviously the more organized you have to be, but sometimes the better and more, rich for your life is you know it's like when you have more time sometimes you waste more of it and then when you know when you have a kid and family and priorities and responsibility you you've got to say what you mean and mean what you say get into a meeting and have a meeting and be done don't let it drag on for two hours yeah um yeah just time is so valuable and so important and how are you spending that time with a sense of purpose and direction and and drive and not just being wishy-washy every, every part of your life, you know, demands something of you. And, and unless you give it that attention and respect, it's, it's going to just pull you in so many different directions and you're going to do everything poorly. Yeah. And I, I really like what you said. I think there's a little bit of a, you sort of, it's a flip flop and that, um, all the things that you're tempted to do as an entrepreneur and all the time and the effort and the over control and all that and all that stuff, there's a lot of it that we should be doing in, in our personal lives. I don't mean the over control part for sure, but the, you know, the over communicating, the, um, making time for them, dropping everything for them, you know, and the, the last five years of my life that's become quite important and in my life with you know my daughters and and deborah and 
and and them and trying to make a life for them and and be a part of it because like I get one shot at it and I really appreciate and love them but I need to be there for them and I need to be present and and actually the oddest things happen is that you know I feel more successful because of it and I'm more fulfilled because of it and the business it's lighter and and I've empowered a lot more people and they're happier at work as I said before but it's just this cool thing that happens and when you bring as you said balance to your life and when there's balance everything actually seems to go so much smoother and even times like as I started this podcast I started again imbalancing my life a little bit I started dedicating a lot of time to work on top of a lot of time to the podcast and less time with Deborah and less time with um, the girls and it's like okay well I need to realign that a little bit and I need to figure out how to streamline some things in my life not waste so much time on the podcast and figure out what things I can do better in my life if I want both in my life I still need to you know make time for for my family so my family time shouldn't be sacrificed if I decide I'm going to pick up something new something else has to be sacrificed that I'm doing whether it's my own personal time for myself because the podcast is actually something for me I had to realize that okay this is for me also I'm doing it for all the food entrepreneurs and everyone out there I'm also doing it for me because I want to help and I'm doing it for me because I'm curious and want to learn from all of you guys because I don't believe you could ever stop learning and gaining knowledge and the podcast is an extreme rapid rate for me to learn um, and have other people learn but I think it's just so important that when we start to balance our lives or, or things come up that we make sure that that time set aside with our family is always preserved because you don't get those memories back and if you miss a memory it's gone you don't you can't go back and do it you know, it's one of those things, and when all things are all said and done, you know, it's uh, those memories are, are what I remember, you know, and the tough times at work, for sure, the things I remember and, and the accomplishments and, and getting through it and the perseverance, but it's also, and the brother, <clears throat> excuse me, the brotherhood, but it's also, you know, those times with my family, like I can't, you know, I could never, I don't regret anything I've done because of it. Or if I miss something at work or an opportunity at work, I actually don't even care that much anymore because I'm probably with my family and we're off doing something fun and forming memories. And I wouldn't want to miss that for the world. But it took me a long time to get there and it, it took the right people in my life. But it also took me failing, as you said, and uh, and having some hardships there and not having my priorities straight or well balanced. So, um, we've talked about that a little bit. I just, you know, I, I sort of, I send out prep questions just so everyone knows to help everyone prepare for the podcast. And I, usually we, we sort of go with them or or let it go on a tangent and just let it flow because it goes naturally. But, you know, I, I think, um, Hank, you're, you're in a transition part of your life right now, um, amongst business and just on a personal level. I mean, is there more you want to talk about with that and and share with the audience? And again, we can go on to a different topic and more of the business, but I think 
like you've got this transition period in your life where, okay, you know, how do you deal with your, your business and do you continue to grow it? Or if you do, is there a third location? I mean, how do you, you know, what's going on sort of inside of you that's, you know, driving you right now and, and your motivation and, and the way you do things? A big question, I know, but I'm sort of just trying to, you know, dive into where you are right now. Yeah, like I said, I'm in a unique position right now because I feel like a lot of things have come to a head here recently in terms of opportunity that's being pushed our way on a number of different levels. And we've already said no to several different projects, um, you know, over the past year or so. But even more recently, it just seems like when it rains, it pours and there's opportunity and in I don't know, using a baseball reference and Ted Williams is just kind of like finding the right pitch and finding your strike zone and what you're willing to to swing at. And um, for me personally right now, I think the brakes have kind of been put on because I'm trying to feel like I need to put myself back together and really try to find that sense of purpose and pleasure and what I'm doing with these businesses and what what these businesses need. And it's for me, I can never take my heart out. I'm always going to be heart first. And so, you know, when when you, when entrepreneurs are like, Oh, I've started 10 businesses, 15 businesses. Like I, I can't wrap my head around that yet. I think there's a lot that I need to learn in terms of working through other leaders and not relinquishing control. But I feel like we've done a decent job of that, but it's, it's taking myself out emotionally on how to be effective and how to create authentic relationships with, with your team. I don't see these businesses as just businesses. It's the people behind it. It's, it's the heartbeat it's the people that are walking in the door. And if I, I don't know how to scale that yet. And I haven't, I haven't figured that out. And my business partner is definitely more pragmatic and practical and black and white. And I can bring the color and we work really, really well together and we lean on one another. And I feel like he's in a good spot right now where he kind of understands what's, what his capacity is and what he's willing to do. And he knows that I'm not, I'm not there yet, but he knows that I'll get there. And so for me, if there are opportunities, I just have to say no right now. Um, even if it's the right opportunity, it might not be the right opportunity because I'm, I'm not there together and I'm not willing to drag my family, my friends, my business partner, myself through something just for success or just because it's a good deal. There's always going to be good deals. There's always going to be opportunities. But like you said, you've only got time and memories. And I just, I don't, I don't want to lose it. And I don't want to jump into something without asking this question for myself. You know, if I don't have a sense of purpose, authenticity and realness to what I'm doing, I can't do it. It's fake. It's a facade. It's, I'm just doing it because that's what everyone else wants me to do. Everyone else wants me. What's, what's the next, what's the third location or what are you, are you going big? Are you going to take out more money and create 10 locations or 20 locations or go do real estate development? And it's like, I'm listening to all, all these things that other people want me to do. And I'm not answering those questions for myself and deciding for me personally, you know, I need to take in the input from people that, you know, that are around me that I'm close with that I trust and, and definitely in the multitude of counsel, you're going to get wise advice. However, I, I can't listen to everybody what's great for them or what they think is great for me. I need to do what's best for me and what, you know, for me, I'm, I am a Christian, but kind of where, 
I can use the gift that, that God is, is giving me and uh, to impact people the right way. And if I have that behind me, then, then I can drive, I can go, I can do, I can create, I, I can be if I have those questions answered in the why. But if I'm just driving to drive, just for success sake, I'm, I'm going to burn out and I can't, can't do that right now. And so, yeah, I, you know, for me right now, it's, it's really just enjoying this time, enjoying these two businesses. And, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of great competition. There's a lot of challenges at both businesses and I want to invest my time and efforts and little bit of talents that I have into these people into these businesses to create them what they should be and give it what it deserves and not, and, and not just be on to the next thing. Um, yeah, I think and, there will be a right time and a right place for whatever's next, but it's, it's doing it with, like I said, on a thoughtful purpose. And I just, you know, and just so the audience knows, I've seen, um, I've seen people fail at the beginning for lack of being prepared and entrepreneurs I work with and, and I've mentored or, or tried to help them business-wise through partnerships. But I've also seen people in your position, and I think you're handling it the right way, that jump or, or move their business forward because everyone else is telling them that that's what they're supposed to do. So they do it out of sort of an obligation or they feel that they have to or they're going to miss an opportunity or whatever it is. And they don't stay true to themselves and thus don't stay true to their business. And it's only a matter of time before those people overextend themselves or, or lose their concept or lose their culture and their businesses and go down the tubes. And it happens a lot, actually. And I don't think people realize this. And, you know, people think entrepreneurs and there's all this success. And once you've had success, you keep success. And it's not true. It's very easy to lose it by getting consumed by the thought of growth or the thought of increasing success or wealth or whatever it is. And once you lose that part of it and you lose the authenticity of your businesses and stuff, a lot of times you, you know, if you want to franchise a, Hey, that's your business goal. You've got to figure out how you're going to move your culture forward. But I guarantee it's never the same as it began. And, you know, for some people, when your heart felt like you are as an entrepreneur, like you've got to manage that and you're only three years old as a business. So you, you've already accomplished quite a lot in my opinion. And there's a lot of success there. And in, in, in my opinion, and just your most successful moment, uh, Hank from a person that's on the other side and, and have been through periods is probably this moment you're in right now where it's the realization to slow down, you know, because, you do have options, that means you've done well, but it also means that you have the knowledge that you don't need to take on every option that comes your way. And that's hard for people, especially as entrepreneurs. We want to keep growing and we want success and we think every opportunity is a great opportunity, but if it's not the right time in your life, it's not going to succeed because you're going to burn out or it's not the right people or there's a reason, you know, in my opinion, um, I believe in God as well. Sometimes, you know, God's putting other things in your life because that's not the right opportunity for you or that's not the right path you're supposed to take. And you need to be aware of it. And, uh, you know, and so the more I've paid attention to it and the more I see the things, you know, in my life and every once in a while hit the brakes and slow down and relook at my life and sometimes even change directions or pivot, 
you know, that has been the success because anytime I've, I've chased the expansion or chased the money, it has not gone very well for me. And, you know, out of the, the one business that actually was multiple businesses that, you know, I got into that really was my biggest failure in the business world. In my opinion was I started chasing something in this idea of, of being recognized and being, you know, something and expanding this company and and how great it was going to be. And I lost track of really what I was doing and lost track that my true passion was food and, and being a food entrepreneur and beverage entrepreneur or, and what I was really good at, I got distracted by this other thing and stepped outside of all the success and all the subsidiaries and all the things I did because I wanted to grow in a different way. And I was like, oh, and there's recognition and there's possibly all this wealth that's being guaranteed. And, you know, that's where I really lost my ass for, for lack of a better term. That's where I lost the most money in my life. That's where my life really became too much to manage. And, it had to collapse because I needed to learn my lesson, but you know, you're learning it before it happened. So I would say that in my opinion, this is your most successful moment, uh, from a business standpoint, because, you know, once I went through that period in my life, I was like, okay, it's time to simplify my life. I I'm doing too much. I've got my hands and, you know, fingers in too many pies or whatever you want to call it. And that really just, I was burning out and I didn't even realize it. I was stressed out and I wasn't giving 100% to anything in my life, let alone, you know, my family or my friends or whoever. And I wasn't being a great, you know, friend, certainly not a great partner and certainly not a great son or or brother. I was just so consumed by the businesses and, and succeeding that I lost track of all of it. And, um... And so I'm glad you talked about that. And I normally don't share much about myself on the podcast, or maybe I do. I guess it's a matter of opinion. But it's I'm glad you shared that because I think it's so important. So let's talk about you know a little bit more and um, and the things that you love about your business. So what are the some of the things you know let let's let's turn a page a little bit and and what are the things that you actually love doing on a day to day basis at your business? Yeah, it's kind of going back to the three P's that I've kind of come up with myself here recently, the people, passion, and place. It's it's being around people. For me, I mean, just seeing people succeed, seeing people grow. For instance, there's um, a person at our business in Denver that I've known for a while and just you know, from the first time that I met him to where he is now and the hopes and aspirations that he's had it's just changed completely and he just takes complete ownership of the the business and the task that's at hand. And he's willing to learn. He's willing to listen. He's willing to grow. He's willing to start from the bottom and work his way up. And now he's one of our managers and he started out as a server and was willing to just basically prove himself before he was given anything. And I think that, you know, should be a lesson for everybody that, you know, some things, things aren't just handed to you. You've got to earn it and rise above and hard work does pay off. And his, his hopes and dreams is to open, you know, his, his own place one day, whether that's a distillery or a brewery or both. Um, he just has such a passion for just the service and the, the art that goes into creating cocktails. And um, it's just fun to be a part of his journey. And I think that's what I've realized through some of his business coaching 
is I don't necessarily have to win. I don't have to fail. I don't um, have to be the one doing it. But if I'm along the ride and and can be in the presence of something like that in the story that's unfolding right in front of me, that that's all I need. And I, and if I can be a part of his process and a part of his story to teach him and um, pass on all the failures and a little bit of success that I've had to him, that's all worth it. And even if we have someone on our staff for a short amount of time, I mean, it is the service industry and sometimes people can come and go very quickly, but I do want them to always remember the places that, that we've created and their time there that they were treated differently than any other place that they were valued. Um, they weren't a cog in the wheel that we were real, that we were authentic, that, you know, I was engaging that I, there was nothing that was too, um, below or beneath me or above me, you know, if I need to wash dishes or mop or do whatever, I would do it. You know, and if you do things right, you're, you're not having to do those things, but there are some times where, you know, you just want to come in and for instance, last, this past Friday, you know, Justin and I, my business partner and I, you know, we're there putting together things on the outdoor patio. It's great weather and we're just working and tinkering and putting things together for the staff. And they just, they see it. They see that you're real, that you're this person. I think sometimes when people say owner, I, I don't know, it gets to people's heads. They don't really know how to treat you. You don't know really, really what to do yourself. And really you're just, we're all people and we're all, we're all sinners. We all do stupid stuff and we all have our own faults and our own baggage. And I don't know, just being being there with people side by side, working and grinding and being a part of their story. That's, to me, that, that's what this is all about. And the fact that now we have two businesses and an impact of 50 to 60 people on any given time, you know, that we can directly influence, not to mention the people that walk in the door. That's a huge responsibility and a huge sense of opportunity to, to make a greater impact in the world. And, and maybe it is small, but I think, you know, a lot of great things come from, from small things and you don't always have to be striving to reach the masses and the millions. It just, maybe it's just that one person that's on your staff that just needs you or need, needs this job or needs this sense of community within the staff or this teamwork. Um, to me, that that's what I'm, I'm finding value and a sense of purpose in right now. And it's, it's, just enjoy like you said to slow down and just enjoy just be you created two great things that have great people running it and just enjoy it be a part of it invest in it be around be present don't be thinking about what's next don't make it all about the numbers my numbers are important but they're people and they crave relationships and they crave success and now i can help directly influence both of those things and I think that's so important. And I think that's a huge part of us being human beings and, and on this planet is how much can we help the people around us? And it's as, you know, one of the other reasons I do the podcast is because I feel like I've been given so much, but I can give so much back to people and help people. And even with employees and things like that, I mean, you never know when you're helping someone. I mean, we don't, you know, we have purpose, but we don't always know what that purpose is um, and and how much it impacts people. Because, 
you know, my purpose could give back and have all of you on this podcast, but, you know, someone may need to hear your episode today, Hank, and, and the purpose of me having the episode and the purpose of you being on the episode, you know, could impact or even maybe even save someone's life who's, who's going through something similar as you, but not handling it as well. And, and I think it's just so important as human beings that we're always there for people. And you're right, the, the numbers do matter. But what also matters is that we are, are good human beings along the way. And I think that's so important. And I love what you talked about it and helping out the server and and just watching him. Um, he worked and did it because he wanted to, because he had pride in himself to do the best he could. And because of that, he got recognition. It wasn't he was going searching for recognition to do it because people that generally in my experience do really well are really doing it because they take pride in doing it and they want to help people and they they want to do the right thing and and they want to work hard and they excel. It's not because they're trying to work to excel. And I think that's the it's a weird thing and we talked about it before the podcast is is it's funny when you chase the money, the money seems hard and nearly impossible to get. But when you start doing the right things and slowing down and doing right by your family and stuff like that, the money just sort of comes. And I don't know why that is, but I feel like it's because you're not so focused on it that you're focused on doing the right things and people see that you're doing the right thing. And then people are more attracted to you by doing the right thing and attracted to your business by doing the right thing by the people. You get better employees because you're doing the right thing. And all of those things, net result, is, is, is more. And I don't know why that is, but that's been true in my experience. It's true in a lot of people I've mentored and people I work with or business partners that I've had is when they sort of balance it all and actually just start giving and doing the right thing. And by human beings, the rest just comes into place. And it's kind of interesting uh, how that happens. That's not saying there's no hardships along the way. Believe me, no matter what direction you go, there's hardships, but it's uh, it's really cool, and I appreciate that you shared that for sure. So my last question for you, Hank, um, is this, is why did you want to um, come be a part of the podcast? Actually, I lied. I have two questions, but that'll be my first one. Yeah, no, I... Um without getting emotional. I, uh, when you were talking about just giving back and helping others and, and doing it in a real and authentic way, I think, I think we all want that. And I'm, and I'm even struggling with it now with these businesses trying to figure out how do you create a culture and how do you have a sense of, um, you know, pride, but just care and respect for people that's authentic and not fabricated, not fake, not cheesy. And, um, and through some of the coaching that I've had, you know, it's, she's like, you're the chief, chief stoke officer. Like you could just create this vibe and this stoke among people that it's just God given. And, um, that's not to say that I have anything together or that, that stoke can turn into a disaster. But when, when gifts that are, God given to you and we all have different gifts and talents, but when they're used the right way, it, it's just, it's beautiful and it's fulfilling. And with this, um, you know, we get inquiries all the time to do talks or interviews or people want to just, 
just talk through stuff or, Hey, I've got the same business idea and I, I want to do it. Can you help? And, you know, sometimes you say yes, sometimes you say no, but more often than not, every time that I've said yes, I get so much joy out of it. And hopefully somebody, you know, that it ends up creating some kind of either business relationship or friendship or something comes of it. That's a part of this bigger plan that's at work that you can't really see. And like you said, there, there may be something through your efforts in creating the podcast that impacts somebody that now you bring on me or somebody else, they speak and then that speaks to someone else. And then they can kind of impact 10, 20, hundreds, thousands of other people. And it just grows like wildfire. And I think that's why I'm doing it is that if there's one person that listens to this and, and, you know, changes their course or their course is a little bit more refined and dialed in, or they understand a little bit more on what life's really about, or if they're striving or if they're in the same boat I am on how to get out of it or what, um, what life is really all about. To me, that's, that's why doing things like this and telling the story that people do want to listen and that people, um, that do want to learn from each other. I know that there's been a lot of advice that maybe one went one ear and out the other, but some of it stuck. And I remember each one of those conversations with each of those different people. And it's had a sense of um, realness to me and it's helped shape my life. And maybe you forget it for years, but then it comes back and you remember that conversation or you remember that person or you remember that phrase that that person said and it can really change the course of your life. And uh, without getting too big, I mean, that it, even if it changes one person or if anything, it, you know, just learning from you and having this conversation, I've already taken so much away of like articulating what it is that I've, that we've been able to do the last five years and have the opportunity of, of being a part of and being able to better articulate that to, to you and other people. I've already, you know, I've gained something from it. So that's why I'm here. Well, and I love the, and people don't realize this is people, um, they don't want, um, and you, people think that this is what people want, but people don't want the fake. I have everything under control. My life is 100% put together thing. And, um, and I'm not saying to fabricate it because you're right there. It's, it has to be real and authentic, but people want to know the vulnerabilities. If you want to lead, they got to know you're one, you're in the trenches with them, which you discuss, which I love because one of the greatest things that I've ever learned is that if I'm going to ask someone to do something, I've got to be willing to do it myself, you know, and that's so important. If I'm, you know, if I'm having someone sweep and clean up and, you know, I've got to be willing to pick up the broom also. And, and so that's one of the things that I've learned. So I love that you've said that. I think that's a great takeaway. The other thing that you said is like, people know, people have the bullshit meter. And when you're not being real and authentic, people aren't going to follow you because they don't see it. But when you're genuine and you want to help people and you're doing it for the right reasons, they see that. And I think that's amazing. And I, and I love what you're doing, Hank. And seriously, like, you know, it's, you know, we have a lot of people come on to the podcast and I learn a lot from everyone, but it's also great. And what you're saying is that all of a sudden, like I can take seeds that have been planted all my life and there you guys, you know, and I actually talk about this sometimes is to me, God talks through other people. Like 
when I'm doing something wrong or I need to be reminded of something, someone says something. And this podcast has also become a vehicle for that for me. Is that, okay, okay, I need to hear something. There's something I learned a long time ago, but I need to be reminded of it. And now I've now heard it twice. I've heard it on the podcast or I've heard it at work and I remember hearing it before. And it's like, you're 100% right. It's one of these things that we need to be constantly reminded because we aren't perfect as human beings. You know, it's progress over perfection and we just need to keep progressing. But that doesn't mean we learn everything right away. You know, it's like people I, I talk to or mentor, they're so hard on themselves or, or people that uh, have worked for me. And I'm like, listen, like, you know, you can make anything a habit, but it isn't overnight. And, and it, you know, things take years sometimes, you know, 18 months minimum is what I tell people. You want to change something about yourself. It's going to take at least 18 years. I mean, 18 months, you know, because getting out of things and learning and putting things into practice in your life, it takes a long time. There's some things that happen faster than 18 months. There's things that have take longer, you know? So it's just one of those things where practice you know, helps, but it just takes time. And, and people were often hard on ourselves because we live in a world of instant gratification. So we're like, okay, I'm going to stop doing this today. It's going to happen today, no matter what. Well, there are some things in life that yes, that happens, but it's not everything, you know, and we need to be understanding and loving of ourselves enough to know that, Hey, you know, it's okay that I take time to do this and I need to take time to do it. And if it affects someone else, I need to be honest with them that it's going to take time. Like, you know, if I do, you know, it happens with my relationship. If I'm doing something wrong and I, you know, I have bad habits, you know, still to this day and we, they can come from wherever, my past. And uh, I'm like, okay, I'm starting to recognize that I do this all the time. And you've said it to me, Deborah. I promise that I'll work on it. I'm not going to guarantee you that I'm going to fix it, but I promise I'll work on it and make a conscious effort to over the, you know, over the next 18 months. And, you know, if you see me slipping, you know, it's your chance to just remind me, you know, and I just want you to know I'm working on it and I don't need, you know, you're doing it again. It's just more like, and she does a great job at this. It's more like, Hey, remember that thing we talked about? You're trying to work on this. I just wanted to show you that you're doing it again. And it's like, okay, whoa, like in the way that that's handled, it's mind boggling, like in the changes that we can make as human beings. And the same is true in business. Like if we have the open heart policy, um, you know, with employees, which is not an open door, which is an open heart, you know, and we've talked about on other podcasts, which is, you know, you can come to me with anything. It doesn't have to be about business. It can be about something in your personal life. I am here for you and I will listen and I will, I will not say anything. And if you want my opinion, I won't give it unless you ask for it. And I'm here for you, not only as a leader or, or your employer or your partner or your whatever, like I'm actually here for you because it's the right thing to do as a human being. And I truly feel, and this is a personal statement and an opinion on my own, but I really feel that the more we do this as human beings and as entrepreneurs, and we have these type of things like open heart policies, that we're actually creating a better world and we're actually creating better generations after us. Because I think for too long we lived in an angry world where being a manager or being a boss was angry and stern and hard and you know, and then you leave a business and you wonder why you have no friends. Well, it's because you led through an iron fist versus leading through your heart. And so, 
you know, you've taught me a lot and reminded me of a lot on this, this podcast, Hank. And so I really just want to say thank you to you for being so vulnerable and teaching me so much. And, you know, if you want to talk about affecting one person by taking the time to be on here, the one person you've already affected is me, like truly in my heart, like emotionally. And I really, um, and because of the connection you've given me and because I feel what you're doing. And this is part of the reason I want people to be authentic and vulnerable on it. But you've really touched me in a way that I'm like, okay, I want to talk more with you. And, and I want to try to come see you and, and meet you at your business and, and learn from you and keep you as a part of my life. Because I feel a connection with you because you were vulnerable and authentic and I can relate to you. And that's you know, really what I'm talking about. And I'm not just saying it like I can actually feel the emotion in my chest and it's kind of crazy. And, um, and so thank you again, Hank, I really do appreciate it. Again. Yeah. Thank you for having me. And it's a pleasure and I'm excited to get to know you more and be a part of this podcast and, and just being around entrepreneurs and people that are creating amazing places and amazing things. And, any way that I can continue to share our story and what we're doing, uh, I definitely want to be a part of that. Yep. And so definitely, Hank, what I'm going to do is um, part of what we're going to do is have you back on the podcast and, you know, eight to 10 months because the listeners want to hear everyone's story, not just from a glimpse from now, but the, actually the entrepreneurial journey. So I, I would love to get you back on and also, one of the things Deborah and I are working on is is sort of a networking thing for entrepreneurs like ourselves that you know that are growing. And one of the things there's a, a site called Meetup.com which anyone can do. But we're going to try to do it through the podcast and all the people that are on it is is do Meetup locations. And I'd love to to do a Meetup location uh, over the summer at Improper City and and maybe even up in Boulder at. Uh, uh, Rayback, if that's okay with you. I would love, love to do it. That's like right up our alley and, uh, yeah, it would fit exactly with what we're trying to do. All right. Awesome. And, uh, if everyone loves what, what's going on in this episode, please reach out to, to Hank and, and his business and, you know, go to Rayback Collective or go to Improper City in Denver, look them up online and on social media, it's Improper City is um, on Instagram. And I, I believe it's just Rayback, isn't it, for the Rayback Collective? I can't remember, but... Um, yeah, it's 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 the Rayback.com and then ImproperCity.com. Okay. If you just Google the Rayback on uh, Instagram or improper city on Instagram, you'll find us. Perfect. And again, thank you so much. And all the audience, thank you guys for listening in. Please, if you like what you're hearing on this episode, this one in particular, I think this one needs to be shared and spread because, you know, we don't know what people are going through and we don't know how we can help. But I think getting the message out there that people aren't alone is a, is a big deal. And, uh, with that being said, I'm Justin Bizarro. If you want to reach out to me or be on the podcast, please reach out to me at Justin at the com. And this is Justin and the Food Entrepreneurs Podcast. And everyone have a great day and thank you for listening in.